0: Hello and welcome to Resilient Faith, a podcast ministry of Brentwood Presbyterian Church in Los Angeles, California. I'm Janice McQueen Ward, the worship elder at BPC, and I want to welcome and thank you for being here with us. Our current podcast series shares the sermons and inspired conversations from a sermon series earlier in 2022 and based on the book The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. In the series, we dive into letting go of perfection in exchange for being imperfect, vulnerable, and yes, worthy of God's love and belonging just as we are. As Christians, we found a lot of resounding themes within the wisdom of this book and connected it to our life of faith. Over the next five weeks, gain insight as to how you can better value yourself as a beloved child of God. Let go of what you think you're supposed to be and embrace who you really are in God's eyes. Come on this journey with us.
1: There is a funny youth ministry illustration about a man in a small Baptist church in a small rural town somewhere in the middle of our country. And the man was the town disappointment. He was always drunk, always getting fired from his various jobs, always carousing for cheap booze and women, behind on all of his child support payments, Each summer at his church, they would hold this week-long spiritual revival complete with hymn sings and tent meetings that would culminate in a big Saturday evening crusade and an emotional altar call. And every year, like clockwork, this man would attend every single day, turn over a new leaf, swear off the booze and the women, and within a week or two, he was back off the wagon and back to his old hurtful ways. Well, one year they had a particularly emotional Saturday night sermon sermon, where the evangelist really brought it home saying, so my brothers and sisters, are you tired? Do you feel broken? Do you feel like you're at the end of your rope, like you are completely empty? If so, come up to the front of the church And let Jesus fill you up. Let Jesus give you new life and a new way and a new start. And sure enough, for the umpteenth time in a row, this man shot up out of his seat and came marching down the center aisles with his hands in the air and tears streaming down his face saying, fill me, Jesus. Fill me, Jesus. And one exasperated deaconess couldn't help herself but to blurt out, don't do don't do it, he leaks. (laughs) Maybe, perhaps the most freeing insight you and I will ever have into the human condition, into our human dilemma, is when we come to recognize the simple but game-changing truth that despite our best intentions, we all leak. That each one of us has our cracks and flaws, our idiosyncrasies and eccentricities, our anomalies and imperfections, and yet we are loved and accepted anyway. As we are, for who we are, by the God who created us, and adores us, and doesn't just see past our imperfections, but loves us because of them, including them, in the midst of them. And that as we learn to accept and embrace those those flaws and imperfections, and those broken parts inside of ourselves, We discover a beauty to live our lives and our story in a way that God can use to create something unique and precious and life-giving, as if we were a piece of clay in the potter's hands. I want you to listen to what the prophet Jeremiah has to say about our imperfections, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet because of his self-criticism, constantly second-guessing himself. About 2,600 years ago, around 580 BC, the nation of Judah was being bannered about by all of the bigger and stronger nations around, around them. And here is what Jeremiah says in chapter 18. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. Now I want you to hear how Paul picks up that theme from this prophet that he would have known very well as he speaks to the church in Corinthians. But we have this treasure, this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And then just a few chapters later, he says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, Then I am strong. This is the word of God for the people of God. There is a beautiful style of Japanese artwork that's getting a lot of attention these days called kintsugi. I don't know if any of you heard about this, this Japanese art form. Some of you, yes. It is a way of repairing pottery, bowls and cups, and pots using a lacquer-based glue that's derived from the sap of a tree that's indigenous to Japan. And the glue is then infused with specks of real gold. If we can bring up the pictures, here is an example of a kintsugi bowl. Many of you have probably seen something like this. Kintsugi was developed in prehistori- in the prehistoric Janan period of the Japanese Empire, and as legend has it, one of their most beloved kings had a piece of pottery that he dearly loved that he had bought in China. And at one point he broke it, and so he sent it back to China to be repaired. But when it came back, the way they had repaired it is by putting metal staples into it. And he said it just looked horrible. I think this was before the whole Dr. Frankenstein was a thing, but it looks something like that. Determined to have his beautiful bowl back, the king set his best artisans and craftspeople on a mission to create a new way to repair bowls that would make them even stronger and more beautiful. If we could bring the bowl up, and let's just go ahead and leave that up here to make it even more beautiful than it had originally been. And as a result, Kintsugi was born. But what's made Kintsugi so popular, and particularly popular now in this moment in history, especially here in our Western society, is that it is more than just a beautiful kind of crazy glue or gorilla glue for putting pots back together. Kintsugi can act as a metaphor for life, for how the broken and imperfect things in our own lives can be used to make us even more beautiful and stronger and more resilient than we could have ever been before we broke. That there is a beauty in our imperfection, and that in the right hands, our broken parts can be used and become the source of an even more unique and beautiful gift than we had to give before. This is the essence of what Henry Nouwen used to talk about when he talked about the wounded healer, But through our pains and our struggles, the things we go through in our lives, it gives us a new kind of compassion and a new kind of insight to pull up along others who are suffering and to help them through their time of difficulty. Which means that this ancient Japanese art form is more than just good mechanics. It's more than just good art or good philosophy. But it echoes one of the most important theological themes of our faith. Basically, the idea that God doesn't make no junk. That God created us and loves us, not just despite our flaws, but in the middle of them. That God can take the the flaws and the imperfections, the idiosyncrasies of our lives, and use them to weave a beautiful story that can be used not just to help us thrive and us enjoy and get the most out of life, but help all of those whom we will ever come into contact with. I think this theme is so important and so critical right now because the world that we live in today has been set up to do perfectly the opposite of everything that Kintsugi and God represents. From the moment we are born, this world tells us to fight and strive and compete for our value. That our worthiness comes not from who we are, but what we do and how we perform. And that if we aren't perfect, then we aren't good enough which only leaves us feeling inadequate and unworthy. And like we have to hide our true selves, put on masks and cover up our mistakes, to try to keep others from seeing our faults and our flaws and our broken bits, which I think we all know works just about 0% of the time. We are taught at a young age to judge ourselves, and those around us by impossible standards, and then to despise ourselves and others if we, if they don't live up to our completely unrealistic expectations. And in a sick, toxic, paradoxical way, we think that we are going to live the best version of our lives if we are able to achieve that maximum achievement if we're able to become perfect or if we're able to fix all of the broken things inside of us. But the truth of the matter is, it's nothing more than a cheap substitute for real life. And again, not only for ourselves, but for everyone we come into contact with. And so we work so hard to fit in and be good enough and to do all the things and to fix all of the issues while all we're really doing is cutting ourselves off from compassion and community. And I'm not saying that that means that we want to stop trying to work on ourselves, trying to grow and change that the very best way to change is by learning to be honest with ourselves, our whole selves, the good and the bad, the broken and the whole. To be honest about our strengths and our weaknesses, our unique abilities and our flaws and our imperfections. To learn to love ourselves the way that God loves us for exactly who we are in all of the complexities of what we are. And then to learn to embrace the full spectrum of our story so that we can become more free than we could ever imagine and allow God to use us, the real us, the nuanced us, to not only grow and become But to love others, and accept others, and to show compassion to others, the way God does for us. Over the next six weeks, we are going to be preaching a new sermon series on the major themes that come out of this New York Times best-selling book, *The Gifts of Imperfection*. It's written by the TED Talk sensation, one of. Oprah Winfrey's favorite authors, Brene Brown. Brene has become a bit of a rock star in our country over the last couple of years. We had thought about naming the series The Gospel According to Brene Brown and putting a big poster up on the side of our church. We thought about half of the west side would probably flock into church to hear it. But in this book, Brown addresses the fallacy of a culture of striving, this culture that we have created to measure and weigh and feel each other out, to put masks on and to, to lie about our mistakes, to cover up our flaws. She talks about the research that she did into people who she said were, quote, living wholeheartedly. People who were living As productive people, but with a sense of joy and gratitude. People who are getting a lot done, but they didn't have a sense of shame or guilt or pressure. I want to read to you the way that she opens the book. She says, owning our story and loving ourselves through that process is the bravest thing that we will ever do. Once you see a pattern, you can't unsee it. Trust me, I've tried. But when the same truth keeps repeating itself, it's hard to pretend that it's just a coincidence. For example, no matter how hard I try to convince myself that I can function on six hours of sleep, anything less than eight hours leaves me impatient, anxious, and foraging for carbohydrates. It's a pattern. I also have a terrible procrastination pattern. I always put off writing by reorganizing my entire house and spending way too much time and money buying office supplies and organizing systems every single time. One reason it's impossible to unsee trends is that our minds are engineered to seek out patterns, to assign meaning to them. Humans are a meaning-making species. And so she goes on to talk about this research that she did to try to figure out who these wholehearted people really were and how they operated. She said, I had a lot of questions about wholeheartedness. What did these folks value? How did they create all this resilience in their lives? What were their main concerns and how did they resolve them? Can anyone create a wholehearted life? What does it take to cultivate what we need and what gets in the way? And she says, as I started analyzing the stories and looking for reoccurring themes, I realized that the patterns generally fell into two columns that I, for simplicity's sake, labeled do's and don'ts. The do column was brimming with words like worthiness, rest, play, trust, faith. Intuition, hope, authenticity, love, belonging, joy, gratitude, and creativity. The don't column was dripping with words like perfection, and numbing, and certainty, and exhaustion, self-sufficiency, being cool, and fitting in. Judgment and scarcity. She talks a little bit about the nervous breakdown that that gave her. She said, I thought when I'd find that wholehearted people were just like me, I thought I'd find that they were just like me, doing all the same things I was doing working hard, following the rules, doing it until I got it right, always trying to know myself better, raising my kids exactly by the books. And yet she says how much we know and understand ourselves is critically important, but there's something that's even more essential to living a wholehearted life, loving ourselves. Knowledge may be important, but only if we're being kind and gentle with ourselves as we work to discover who we are. Wholeheartedness is as much about embracing our tenderness and vulnerabilities and flaws as it is about developing knowledge and claiming power. In the next chapter, she says, wholehearted living is about engaging in our lives from a place of worthiness. It means cultivating the courage, compassion, and connection to wake up in the morning and think, no matter what else gets done and how much is left undone, I am enough. It's going to bed at night thinking, yes, I am imperfect and vulnerable, and sometimes I'm afraid. But that doesn't change the truth that I am also brave and worthy of love, and I belong. There are things in this world that break us like pots crashing down onto the ground. If we could bring that image up one last time. We get broken hearts, broken relationships, broken dreams, shattered confidence, dashed hopes. These last few years, especially, have left so many with so many broken pieces that they don't know how to mend. And yet, if we are willing to allow the potter to take the broken pieces of our lives and perform a little kintsugi on them, then we can become more beautiful than ever, even more beautiful than we were before we were broken. The pain and the hurt in your life, the pain and the hurt in our world, from these last number of years can be turned into something strong and resilient and even more beautiful if we allow the potter to take our broken pieces and to turn it into a work of art. Join us these next few weeks as we explore the gifts of imperfection. Amen.
0: We are so grateful you have joined us and hope this episode helped fuel your mind, body, and soul. This podcast is produced by me, Janice McQueen Ward, and by Cameron Ward, who also created the music. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe to our podcast and support us financially through the Give page of the BPC website. Until next week, go in peace and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.